Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on November the 13th, 2016. With all the hype and hype and hype leading up to the US elections, it's quite comical in a sense to stand back and look at the response from all over the world. But, but in Canada, you think Canadians had been voting for uh, Hillary Clinton or anybody from the far, far, but what they think is far left, because that's what they've been taught to identify with. They have no idea what it actually really is at the top. But everybody goes into the funeral mode, like a massive funeral mode in Canada, and I'm sure elsewhere too, uh, because um, they, they, supposedly they, they've all had instructions and indoctrinations all their whole life long, actually, into uh, this whole globalistic thing. And like all news, as I've mentioned before, most people get this downloaded into them through repetition and osmosis. They don't really think things through. It's done in a scientific technique of just dropping little bits and bites into their brain and from thousands of of, uh, news or or even even, um, movies embedded into their brains basically through a lifetime of indoctrination through documentaries, little bits and bites of news uh, where they're given their opinions and everything, but mainly through their education at, at school. It's far, far, far left, which is actually total globalism for a small elite at the top that believe that they've got the right to rule over everybody else because they're the intelligentsia. Even the ones that pretend that they're communists, they're the intelligentsia, they think. And the fact so easy for so long, really, with this world plan to take over the entire planet and rule it all, uh, because the ordinary folk are just too dumb and stupid to rule it for themselves. They can't rule their own lives. Well, of course they can't rule their own lives when the intelligentsia and the elite at the top are always changing everything uh, that causes your, your ability to survive, to be on the rocks, basically, or on the edge, at least, and through financial control totally. Uh, and financial uncertainty, which they always jump into you all the time. Oh my God, everything's going to fall apart. You're going to have yada yada yada. And they can do it certainly, and they do do it actually, false flagging you uh, with crashes and so on when it's time to uh, upgrade their own program towards their own agenda, which is again totally uh, globalistic in in its venue, and micromanaging everybody's lives from birth to death. That's the expert system. It's going to give you all utopia. But what's awfully interesting in the U.S. and across the whole planet is the, the elite coming out openly <laughs> and their uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth, which is awfully good for dentists, but uh, is the fact that they've been open about their elitist views, maybe for the first time, very open about it, and showing the, the public, the people who follow them slavishly, um, showing them just how you disgust them at the top and the far, far left. Same with the right, because at the top it's always the same people, by the way, you run all, always. But the disgust they have at not getting their own way, which would be easier with Hillary, and maybe a little, a little bit more management with, with Donald, but they'll get it regardless because they'll, they'll already select, I'm sure, have, have selected the, the people who will surround them and guide them and so on. And uh, if nothing else, you get a little, little bit more entertainment with less political correctness, which is stifling speech of all kinds, even jokes, and for goodness sake. 
and, uh, and it's meant to literally stop all arguments. That's intention of uh, political correctness. And the globalists have been in a hurry for a long time now, really since well, 2001 was a, a big push, a fast push to, to really rush their whole plan forward of, of complete global integration for, oh my goodness, we've got to be, have security, so we must all come under one global system. And, and uh, the so-called wealthier countries, which really are uh, in face value only, not in real uh, terms, are, are paying for all. And, uh, and now they must be taxed into the ground through, for austerity's sake, through carbon taxes and all this kind of thing too, as you're shoved into the, the managed habitat areas through the United Nations, this unelected body, yada, yada, yada. And I've gone through the history of it so many times, I ain't going to go through it again. It's so sickening to go over it and over it and over it because it's so prevalent today. You keep falling over it and tripping over it wherever you turn. Uh, and all their, their, their armies across your whole spectrum, from, from the local level across to the global level, of, of uh, new uh, Sovietized type of uh, Politburo uh, characters who have given themselves the power to tell you what to do and have the handout all the time telling you to put cash in it just for the, the privilege of living or existing. And the wonderful way that they've gone about it through massive indoctrination uh, for years and years now, now it's time to implement it all and bring you into utter poverty. So your betters, the ones I'm going to talk about tonight, can sneer at you. And, and you, as I say, you better just jump to their orders or else because they're, they're vicious. They don't, they don't believe in anything called democracy. But they use that term, uh, they've used that for since the days of Winston Churchill's youth, basically. He talks about that, what was behind it. And, uh, but they use it all the time, because they have no intention of giving you the rights, you see. If anything, they're going to rein in any free choices that you have, and they're already doing it to an extent, but where you can live, how you can live, can you even feed yourself, or be allowed to feed yourself, and all that kind of, or even heat yourself, etc., etc., etc. That's what, according to your value to the world state, as they will say it. Uh, now, they're running, they want to run the whole world like a business, and believe you me, if you start costing money, from what should be profit your whole life. You're supposed to give profit to them your whole life long. And if you start costing them cash, they're going to euthanize you. And they, they discuss this quite openly at the top. Uh, these wonderful left-wingers that they call themselves, you know, where we love everybody, honestly. <laughs> and then they go off and party. Uh, well, you understand that it's the same with the right-wingers too at the top. The, the illusion of democracy has always been there. But there's, there's never been democracy. Never been it. The whole structure of the system would have to get torn down to bring in it and start from scratch with completely new people who are, who are not indoctrinated uh, as everyone else is, which is contaminated. That, that's, your, that's your indoctrination, is contamination, you see. So you'd, you'd have to basically toss everybody out of their lofty towers and start from scratch. And that isn't going to happen, obviously. But that's the only way you could possibly do it. The big boys have a long, long-term plan, and they can sit for 100, 200 years to achieve different objectives. And now is the time to do the final push, of course, for interdependence, which means you're not going to have any independence whatsoever as a person, a local community, or a nation. That's out the window. Experts are going to rule you. They're already doing it, actually. 
and now they're demanding you cough up very precisely for existing through carbon taxes, energy taxes and all the rest of it. Every politician at the top goes and signs off these treaties. They know what they're doing. They're not misinformed. They know what they're doing. They're all, they're all prostitutes. And it's been like that for a long, long time. And there's no doubt about it. The public are just sick of them. That's, that's all that's reflected in these votes. It's just that the public are sick of them. It happened with the British UKIP party that, that literally had nothing even to back up when it won. I think they're all surprised to separate from the EU, the most corrupt system uh, that there is, really, with its thousands of, of lobbying companies and lobbyists around the parliament building for the whole of Europe. And the, the billions just disappear all the time through its corruption. And the same as, as in your national politics, too. It's been that for way, way too long in every country. And as I say, you lift up the, 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 the cover of uh, respectability that they've, they've indoctrinated you with, and you've got nothing but utter, utter, blatant corruption. That's what you got. And it's a global system, completely global. But anyway, I'll read some of the things tonight to show you how they're sneering and sneering and sneering at ordinary people. And you remember the big organization that's been at work for, oh, from the 1800s to the present time under the Lord Alfred Milner Group and all this roundtable societies and so on. And the next step was the Royal Street for International Affairs and its different branches across the world. Now it runs the European branch for the European um, International Affairs Group. Uh, that runs, and every politician in uh, Brussels Parliament is basically a part of it. All unelected, private, secretive organisations. And its other specialised branch, which is the trilateral group, whose job it is to manage every country and all the central banking systems and so on. That's how long it was, it was set up, about the 1800s. For world domination and running the world scientifically, they claim, as they enrich themselves at the top, uh, and, uh, and you are kept in the dark as a, a slavish little unit, uh, and you will be taught to work efficiently, and you better be efficient. I still wonder when Shaw, George Bernard Shaw talked about that on a very early film, actually, where he talks about when we get in the Fabian Socialists. That was one, one arm of the same monster, you see. And he says, you will have to come to us and, and tell us, convince us why we should allow you to live. Because they're into eugenics. They're into having an efficient society run by, by scientific mindset. And, and you will have to, have to be a good producer. Remember, the United Nations has defined what a good world citizen is, and it's someone who's a good producer and consumer. If you stop producing because you're sick or whatever, uh, believe you me, and it will come what Canada's got now, and that's the euthanasia pill. It's a lot cheaper. They want to keep all the money you've paid in your whole darn life for themselves and just give you the cheap, uh, probably generic yeah, pill that will bump you off and uh, and that'll be that. You know, they'll, they'll put you in one of these mixes they put you in, the green slime, and pour you in a garden somewhere to help fertilize the song. Uh, we're, they're very efficient, if nothing else. They certainly aren't human, but they're, they're very efficient. And they have you voting for them all in all different sides and shades, etc. 
And it's so funny, too, to watch all the different groups that were all so in bed with, with Hillary, because they'd be in bed with ever, any, any front that they've already put in there, they're in bed with, uh, suddenly change. Now that Trump's going to be the front man, and now they're trying to get in bed with him. It's just the way it goes. It's always been this way. People, remember, are emotional. Most of them are emotional, and you can see that today more than ever before. The emotions run rampant. As uh, they, they hype it up, hype it up with all the, the hand wringing and oh my god, the fear of the Nazis. The Nazis? Who's kidding who? And all that stuff, rubbish. Their safe rooms, everybody's running to their safe room and their safe spaces and, and getting grief counseling, yada yada. What, what over the top rubbish? Huh? What over the top rubbish? And people who run around with their heads cut off in the streets like chickens, uh, spouting all this stuff are already gone. They're already gone, folks. I mean, you don't try and persuade them in any kind of logic or, or, or history of anything. It doesn't matter to them. They don't own themselves. They don't own their own minds. They're little useful tools, useful idiots of an elite that they don't even know exists away above them. And don't think there'll be that much of a change either because, you, as I say, you'll find uh, suddenly the whole bunch of appointees that are... That are Belonging to the same old clubs uh, Who have their gas of party They're always in there And they'll be running the show again that, that, It's a show for the public Because folk had just had enough of, of Disgust and, and, and things getting worse and worse and worse In their own lives By the system Now as I've said already It's good to to see the open sneering of this group and what how they really see you and what, how they, what they think of you. And it says, the sneering response to Trump's victory reveals exactly why he won. You could also say the same about the, the people in Britain that voted to get out of the EU. They're so sick of all. And mind you, it doesn't mean that, that, uh, that they get what they want anyway because uh, the elite at the top are awfully good at keeping hold of all power across the planet under different guises and cloaks, etc. But it says, if you want to know why Trump won, just look at the response to his winning. The lofty contempt for what they called, that's all over the media, all the top groups, as you know, who they are and all the rest of it, the lofty contempt for low-information Americans. That's what they call it. That's why you, you just don't, you can't handle information. That's why you voted for Donald Trump. The barely concealed disgust for the rednecks, that was definitely mainly their target. And the cretins of flyover America, who are apparently racist and misogynistic and homophobic. The haughty sneering at the vulgar, moneyed American political system and how it's allowed a wealthy candidate to poison the little people's mushy, malleable minds. That's how they're put across. Suggesting that American women, more than 40% of whom are thought to have voted for Trump, suffer from internalized misogyny. That is, they don't know their own minds, the poor dears. The hysterical borderline apocalyptic claims that the world is now infinitely screwed because, in quotation marks, our candidate, the good pure person, didn't get in. This response to Trump's victory reveals why Trump was victorious, because those who do politics these days, the political establishment, the media, the academy, the celeb set, are so contemptuous of ordinary people. So hateful of the herd, so convinced that the mass of society cannot be trusted to make political decisions, and now those ordinary people have given the response to such top-down sneering and prejudice. 
Oh, the irony of observers denouncing Middle America as a seething hotbed of hatred, even as they hatefully libel it a dumb and ugly mob, having turned America's left behind into the butt of every clever East Coast joke and the target of every hand-wringing newspaper article about America's dark heart and its strange Bible-toting inhabitants, the political and cultural establishment can't now be surprised that so many of those people have turned around and said, well, it begins with F and ends with U. The respectable sex allergy to Trump is fundamentally an allergy to the idea of democracy itself. This is often important, actually, because behind all the pushing of those who push and claim democracy as to why they're changing the world, they, they don't, they've never believed in it at all. It's simply a camouflage, folks. Trump's rise confirms the folly of asking the ignorant, the everyday, the non-subscribers to the New York Times, which again is Council on Foreign Relations, or Chief of International Affairs, to decide on important political matters. They, they're explicit about this now. In the run-up to election day, big-name commentators wondered out loud if democracy is all it's cracked up to be. See, amongst themselves, they're all taught that uh, the people cannot, can, can't handle democracy. Therefore, that's why they have to, and have always been, by the way, behind the scenes, totalitarian and elitist for an awful long time, awful long time. But say they use the term democracy for the little people to follow, looking for a, a utopia. And it says, um, Trump's ascendancy showed we need better checks and balances on the passions of the mob, said Andrew Sullivan. We should cool and restrain these contemporary populist passions, he said, and refuse to allow feeling and emotion to override reasoned deliberation. The little, little folks only feel and wail, you see, and it's down to the grown-ups in the system to think coolly on their behalf. Now that falls in with what I've been saying for years, from the horses' mouths themselves, because Lord Bertrand Russell, who was totally for this world system run by the elitists and the scientific set, etc., and the Huxleys, they were all in it, and part of it, big time, and all the Marxists, all, all, as long as they're getting well paid off, you see, they, don't, they believe in a good financial returns themselves, if, as long as they keep it fairly quiet, but... This, this is their system, uh, and they don't believe you can handle any real information. That's why you don't get any real information, folks, if, if you've always wondered. By all these prostitutes, media, and so on, they, they don't give you real information. They don't. And it says here, elsewhere, a writer for the New York Times asked Americans to consider installing a monarchy which could rise above the toxic partisanship of party politics. There is above open, swirling, uh, demos-stuffed uh, political debate. A new book called Against Democracy says it all. Georgetown philosopher, Natchez Georgetown, uh, Jason Brennan, argues for an aristocracy of the wise who might decide political matters for those of us who are low information. That is stupid. This echoes the anti-democratic turn of liberals in the 2000s when it was argued that the daft, bush-backing Americans increasingly made decisions, not with their linear, logical left brain, but with their lizard, more emotional right brain. In Arianna Huffington's words, such vile contempt for the political democratic capacities of the ordinary person has been in great evidence following Trump's win across Twitter and an apocalypse-tinged instant responses, and it's likely to intensify anti-Trump will morph into explicitly into anti-democracy. Because you see, 
that's the whole point of world governance, as they call it. You didn't vote for it, you never will get a chance to vote for it. And it's already up and running. Look at all the top universities, they're just basically, I was going to say armpits, but of just arms of the, of the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute for International Affairs, uh, that, that are just devoted and set up to train all the leaders of the future who are governing you. It's a one-party system because you, you see they don't they won't have and really don't have it anyway. Uh, different parties you really don't have it at all. It's a joke, and it's meant to be a joke. If this all sounds familiar, that's because it's the same kind of plebeian fearing horror that treated the Brexit. That's the British exit from the European Union. Result four months ago. Why elections are bad for democracy, a headline in The Guardian said. The people are deluded, and it's the task of those with reason and expertise to undelude them, said a writer for Foreign Policy. Foreign Policy magazine is owned by the Washington Post, and is a similar magazine to Foreign Affairs. The big, again, CFR, also International Affairs magazine. What if democracy... That's the guys who set up uh, the, the, the whole drafting and the pushing for NAFTA, before that for the whole European Union integration, all that kind of stuff. You know, this unelected private group that almost every top reporter is part of, and every media person at the top or, or mogul is a member of, to make sure you get all the right, the right ideas to keep you dumb and, dumb and stupid, basically. Really. And they're all upset now that some folk are not as dumb and stupid as they thought. Anyway, says, what if democracy doesn't work? What if it never has and never will? Wondered a pain, George Mon by it. Boom, that's it. The secret and not-so-secret cry of the elites and the experts and observers over both the Brexit and Trump is precisely that. What if democracy doesn't work? It's not so much Trump they fear as a system that allowed him to get into the White House. That pesky, ridiculous system where we must ask ordinary people shudder what they think should happen in the nation. The anti-Brexit and anti-Democrats claimed there were rough, simplistic referendums to decide on huge matters. That kind of democracy is too direct, they said, yet now they're raging over the election of Trump via a far more complicated, tempered, democratic system. That's because, I know it's, this is strong, but I'm sure it's correct, it is democracy itself that they hate. Not referendums, not UKIP's blather, not only direct democracy, but democracy as an idea against democracy. So many of them are now. It's an engagement of the throng in political life that they fear is the people, ordinary working non-PhD holding people, whom they dread and disdain. It's what got Trump to the White House. The right of all adults, even the dumb ones, to decide about politics. That gives them sleepless nights. This nasty reactionary turn against democracy by so many of the well-educated both explains the victory of Trump, which neatly doubles up as a slap in the face of the establishment, confirms why democracy is more important today than it has ever been, because it really would be folly, madness, in fact, to let an elite that so little understands ordinary people, and in fact loathes them, to run society unilaterally. Now that would be dangerous, more dangerous than Trump. But it's, uh, again, it's, it's kind of simplistic, naturally, but it's also truthful as well. And um, it, it doesn't tell you either that Trump's going to be some kind of saviour either. It just tells you that we are seeing our, our reactions to this corrupt system of this elite sneering lot at the top. 
and also a reaction to their minions way down below them that uh, go up in the streets like like the thugs uh, that uh, were in the street clashes before the, the Bolsheviks took over the Soviets, or and they did the same in Germany too, in the streets. And that's what they're using here now in, in the, the U.S. with their, you know, silly, silly uh, hand rain turns into riots and all the rest of it because they didn't get what they wanted. These folk are gone. They're gone. They, they don't even understand or care, really, what they're really working for. Now, getting back to the Council on Foreign Relations, American branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and it's other. I mean, the, the head of it has always been the Royal Institute for International Affairs. I don't think because it's based in Britain, it's actually you might call it British or same with the CFR or anything else. And they also have the, the Institute for International Affairs for the whole of Europe, the EU one. Uh, they, they own. They run the whole planet, folks. You don't elect them, and you can't join them. You have to be asked to join. If if you if you could, you'd be useful to them, they might ask you. But if you're not, uh, no, you, you don't bother applying here. And that's the bunch of the, the, the elite all belong to. And they, they believe in technocracy. Technocracy, where you are a unit of energy, you consume energy, and you will pay for every unit of energy that you consume. And you'll pay them, naturally, because they know how to run the world, and they are the supposed experts. That's what they truly believe. They're incredibly elitist. Uh, they're incredibly uh, understand something in science. In science, there's no human emotion of any kind or response. Science is one of the coldest subjects it can possibly be, and it's the antithesis of humaneness. Believe you me. Even though the elite will, will also often use that term, being humane, they may have to, they're bringing our populations down by sterilizing a whole generation there. Uh, they end up getting cancers and all this, but it's being humane. You don't you don't know you're being killed off, so you're quite happy until you're until you're, you're crippled or whatever. You see, that's how it works. You're not dealing with real human people here, because real human people have it. They, they're not they are not elitists. That's the difference. That's the difference. And the thing is, too, Trump always have the same elitists around him, unfortunately. And here, of course, is the same group that, that runs everything, uh, advising them. See, the, the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, pretend, pretend they're just a big think tank. They, they advise governments on policy. That's what they pretend. Even though so many of their members always end up in your political system, either as appointees or, or whatever it happens to be, running your system. Anyway, says, foreign policy expert to Trump, begin with calling your allies, it says. That's from the CNBC. One of the first issues Donald Trump will be confronted with as he takes office is that of foreign policy, and he must face it strategically, said, guess who, the head for the U.S. branch of the, of the CFR, Council of Foreign Relations, Richard Haas. And you've got to look up his wiki as well, and always look up and find what you can about these people, because often they're not just who they seem to be, there's often a lot more than that too. President of the Council on Foreign Relations, this private group that decide the future of the planet. For him, it's both a challenge and an opportunity to reassure, in particular, our closest allies in Europe and Asia, of how the United States will conduct its foreign policy under a Trump administration, has told CNBC's Squawk Box. Has said foreign policy, our powers are already on edge after a tumultuous 18 months of electoral battles between Trump and his Democratic opponent, Hillary Clinton. The smart movie said would be for Trump to start con- 
protecting our allies and laying out his long-term goals. Why doesn't Trump tell them to go and get stuff themselves? Right off the bat. Then he may have some credibility. What I would begin with is calling your allies. I'd call the British, the French, the Germans, the Japanese, the Koreans, the Israelis, because that's the basis Haas said. Well, you go and do that, Mr. Haas. You're, not, you're, you're, you're unelected anyway. And so is your whole policy groups and your think tanks and all the rest of them that work with all the other big foundations. They're really all one when you get into the, the octopus, obviously. And since alliances are the foundations of American foreign policy, Haas said the key is to remain diplomatic. You basically say, I look for this. Remember, two CFR and articles I read a few years back are the ones who said that their best ally to take down Syria uh, was ISIS. Hmm? Remember that? And this character wants to get in and start to advise the next, the next pretended boss, Mr. Trump. Hmm? You basically say, I look forward to listening to you and I look forward to working with you. Things were said during the campaign. Don't overreact, has said. Basically, keep an open mind. But Trump must be careful whom he chooses to call uh, for those preliminary conversations. Has contended is that a threat? I would not make my first call, for example, to Vladimir Putin or someone like that. He said, well, that's definitely a kind of threat, isn't it? The Russian president congratulated Trump on his win early Wednesday morning. But Haas doesn't like that. Haas also addressed Trump's controversial stance on the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which he saw as more bark than bite. On the trade front, more broadly, I think the TPP doesn't go anywhere anytime soon, Haas said, noting the bipartisan opposition in Congress to the pact. Well, guess we drafted all that up. Yeah. It's in this article here. Have you figured it out yet? More importantly, Haas said Trump needs to focus on dealings with China, specifically trade, North Korea, and the conflict in the South China Sea and Iran. Uh, this is all the same old guess what, you know, same old, same old stuff. Uh, finish them off, finish off Syria, finish off Iran, blah, 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 you know. And they're not the next bunch of countries. Mm-hmm. The foreign policy expert, <laughs> what do you mean expert? What do you mean foreign policy expert? This is the same bunch of experts that, that, that decide to blow up every country that was across the Middle East. And advised the, the 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 neocons, as they call them. Then this is a foreign policy expert said a major challenge for Trump will be determining the strength of his Republican support. Many members of the GOP establishment came out against Trump in the last leg of his campaign, which is why Trump shouldn't take any of them on. You know. This is what's causing the question how much backing the president-elect will be able to pull together when he enters the White House. Well, if anything was real in the soul system, Trump would uh, elect or bring in people and appoint them that you've never heard of before, but who definitely are able to open about their credentials and who they've belonged to in the past and all that kind of stuff for a change. And he's an example, too, of the fear and horror the Orwellian horror. Oh my God, always, there's always, you can't relax in the system. It's part of the control technique, of course. America has never been so ripe for tyranny. <gasps> As this dystopian election campaign has unfolded, my mind keeps being tugged by a passage in Plato's Republic, it says here. This is by Andrew Sullivan. And it's, it's, it's unsettled, even surprised me from the moment I first read it at graduate school. The passage from the part of the dialogue where Socrates and his friends are talking about the nature of different political systems, how they change over time and how one can slowly evolve into another. 
And Socrates seemed pretty clear on one sobering point, that tyranny is probably established out of no other regime than democracy. That's why they don't like, that's why there's a big, big bunch at the top. They always use the shield of democracy to batter through uh, any kind of freedom. Uh, or actually tyrants behind it all. You know, the Sovietized type, the real, the real Sovietized type, you see. And, but they, they're going to get the mob to follow them. You're going to have rights and freedoms. They always tell you that nonsense as they take them all away from you. Hmm. So they don't believe in democracy because you, you might actually vote for something that's in your better interest, you know, your own personal interest for a change. And you, you've been so dumb and stupid, can't, don't know what your personal interest should be. Only the elite know that, the experts. And they keep telling you that too. And, uh, and the longer a democracy lasted, Plato argued, the more democratic it would become. As freedoms would multiply, as equality spread, deference to any sort of authority would wither, tolerance of any kind of inequality would be- become under intense threat, and multiculturalism and sexual freedom would create a city or a country like a many-coloured cloak decorated in all hues. This rainbow flag polity, Plato argues, is for many people the fairest of regimes. The freedom in that democracy has to be experienced to be believed with shame and privilege, in particular emerging over time as anathema, but is inherently unstable. As the authority of elites fades, as establishment values cede to popular ones, views and identities can become so magnificently diverse as to be mutually uncomprehending. And when all the barriers to equality, formal and informal, have been removed, when everyone is equal, when elites are despised and full license is established to do whatever one wants, you arrive at what may be called late-stage democracy. There is no kowtowing to authority here, let alone to political expertise or expertise. In other words, the elites can't survive by feeding off you by all their ridiculous rules and taxes, etc., to which they just pocket themselves and dream up new taxes to, to make themselves even more elite. Like we have now. The very rich come under attack as inequality becomes increasingly intolerable and patriarchy is also dismantled. We almost forgot to mention the extent of the law of equality and of freedom in the relations of women and with men and men with women. Family hierarchies are inverted. A father habituates himself to be like his child and fear his sons. And a son habituates himself to be like his father and to have no shame before or, or fear of his parents and so on and so on. And then they get to, um, the rich mingle freely with the poor in the streets and try to blend in, and the foreigner is equal to the citizen. And it's when a democracy has ripened as fully as this, Plato argues, that a would-be tyrant will often seize this moment. Well, by using this technique, the elite knew that years ago, they would use all this technique, at least the, at least the, the promises of it all. More freedoms, more freedoms, more And see, they themselves are the tyrants. That's a clever part of this particular one we're in, you see. <laughs> Quite good, eh? And uh, they, they don't mind you rutting like rabbits in, in March uh, at all, as long as you just don't have children. Because they want to manage you properly. They only want to have enough bread to keep them in comfort at the top. And to do all the, 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 the dirty work. You're one of the little people, and the little people do all the dirty work. So that the ones at the top can walk around in their, in their gowns, etc. And, uh, and enjoy themselves. But uh, it's quite interesting to see this article here that 
is meant to, by a person who sees themselves as one of the intelligentsia, I believe, basically uh, fear-mongering. America is so ripe for tyranny. You understand, tyranny never calls itself tyranny. It always calls itself uh, the voice of the people and things like that. Always does that, doesn't it? All that racketeering and con- conology, that's how it's done. I had a laugh last night too, I see a little clip in my slow speed here, a little clip of one of the, the big news channels, and a guy was on uh, with two guests, all people who are connected to, to the White House's news media, and, all. and they were all suddenly, suddenly so shocked, suddenly so shocked, about all the corruption that Hillary seems to be involved in and the Clintons and, all, and the Podestas and all that. So all this corruption. As, they, as, they, as they've run the, the White House as like a personal business or something and their foundations and all the cash is given to them and so on. They're suddenly, just suddenly, these are the guys who have given you all your non-thoughts for years and years since since they're, they're the most shocked of all and here they are on, in amongst it their whole darn lives. That suddenly... You see, suddenly that, that uh, Trump is in, uh, they're so shocked at what's happened in the past. They had no idea. These are your news bringers, eh? <laughs> Jokers. And what liars, too, eh? <laughs> of course, they've always known what's going on. They're the insiders. They're the ones who quite willingly comply to keep you in the dark. And the New York Times, naturally. And it says, uh, Consider a monarchy, America. Uh, by some somebody who's given himself a kind of a joking name, I think Tol- Tolstoynov, Tolstoynov. And it says, uh, as a foreigner with dual British and Russian citizenship, it's not for me to comment at length on the merits of the rival candidates for the presidency of the U.S., but it seems uncontroversial uncont- to say that neither appears to be a Washington or a Lincoln, and that the elective presidency is coming under increasingly critical examination. That their head of state should be elected by the people is, I imagine, the neat view of almost all American citizens. But at this unquiet hour, they might well wonder whether, for all the wisdom of the founding fathers, the Republican system of government is actually leading them toward that promised uh, for more perfect union. After all, our American cousins have only to direct their gaze towards their northern neighbor to find and contented Canada, <laughs> contented Canada, a nation that is for its head of state a hereditary monarch. That example alone demonstrates that democracy is perfectly compatible with constitutional monarchy. Indeed, the modern history of Europe has shown that those countries unfortunate enough to enjoy a king or a queen as head of state tend to be more stable and better governed than most of the continental uh, Republican states. By the same token, demagogic uh, dictators have proved unremittingly hostile to monarchy because the institution represents a dangerously venerated alternative to their ambitions. I love to read these people who, who see themselves as, they really do, they see themselves as intelligent or intelligentsia even. And most of the stuff they have there is padded. You could, you could condense it all into a few lines really. But this is how they, they fill in what's given to you as news. But I'll put this up too to show you what they're talking about here. It's strange how suddenly... For, they don't do it very, soft, or very often in elections. Suddenly, uh, they're all on about basically different kinds of, of governments that the U.S. should have. And they're all foreigners. Well, not all of them, actually. But they all, they all seem to know what's best for America. 
And this one here too is another article to do with Plato again. It comes all the rage and then they'll pick it up, you see, and they, they prattle on about it. If most voters are uninformed, who should make decisions about the public's welfare? The case against democracy. And they bring in, again, they, when someone hits on an idea, they all just jump on it like crazy. Roughly a third of American voters think that Marx's slogan, from each according to his ability to each according to his need, appears in the Constitution. Well, that's because they're from indoctrination. For Americans who don't know it, they were conquered long ago by the Marxists. And when they were over and fighting in Vietnam, uh, their government was already totally infiltrated and run in all the important places inside government with real Marxists and Trotskyists, or Trotsky. Yeah, they actually call themselves Trotskyists, not Trotskyites. But as many are incapable of naming even one of the three branches of the United States government, well, whose job is that? Since the, since your, the education system is supposed to give you something about American government and constitution, they don't anymore. They, they teach them lots of Marxist theology. Fewer than a quarter know who their senators are, and only half are aware that the state has two of them. Democracy is, a, is other people. That's what that means. And the ignorance of the many has long galled the few, especially the few who consider themselves intellectuals. Plato, one of the earliest to see democracy as a problem, saw its typical citizen as shiftless and flighty. Sometimes he drinks heavily while listening to the flute. Other times he drinks only water and is on a diet. Sometimes he goes in for physical training. Other times he's idle and neglects everything. And sometimes he even occupies himself with what it takes to be philosophy. It'd be much safer, Plato thought, to entrust power to carefully educated guardians. Now remember that Plato fled the country uh, when it was found that uh, Socrates and others were trying to get the young to rebel and overthrow the rulers of that particular era's system of government. And they were planning to overthrow them. And all the Grecian... Greece was a huge empire at that time, really. It was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of islands all came under under Greece. But uh, Plato thought that they should overthrow all the systems of tradition and put their own carefully educated guardians in, this clique of the intelligentsia, like himself. To keep their minds pure of distractions, he says, such as family, money, and the inherent pleasures of naughtiness, he proposed housing them in a eugenically supervised free love compound where they could be taught to fear the touch of gold and prevented from reading any literature in which the characters have speaking parts which might lead them to forget themselves. In other words, again, free love's always been used by this group, you see, to destroy your culture, uh, destroy uh, family unity of all kinds, and of any kind. I mean, Peter also wanted the government and the state to bring up the children, so you wouldn't even know who your parents were. And then, just like had they had in Brave New Worlds, they had different sections, eugenic sections of, of society, from the low ones at the bottom with low intellect, which they bred to be that way, doing all the dirty jobs and, and, the, and the, the laborious kind of repetitive jobs, things like that. And they'd also breed military. They'd breed the military, male and female, breed them. Uh, to be So you actually breed or create each, each section of society which they would need on behalf of the elite at the top. And 
The scheme was so Byzantine and Khomeini that many suspect Plato couldn't have been serious. Hobbes, for one, called the idea useless. More practical suggestion came from Gaius Mill in the 19th century, giving extra votes to citizens with university degrees or intellectually demanding jobs. In fact, in Mill's day, select universities had had their own constituencies for centuries, allowing them, as someone with a degree from, say, Oxford, to vote both in his university constituents and wherever he lived. The system wasn't abolished until 1950. And this goes on about the old British system as well. But the whole point of it all, again, is should you have any kind of democratic inputs? That's it. Remember, technocracy doesn't believe, and I've, there's a great book put out there, I've mentioned before, in the archive section at com. The book Technocracy Rising was written by Patrick Wood, a man who spent years and years investigating uh, the trilateral group. And he, he, uh, he also goes into technocracy and explains that the, that the whole, who took over this whole idea of, of technocracy and that how the Rockefeller Foundation grabbed it and th- thought into the future how they could inject this technique of ruling the, the people of the planet, the whole planet, and how it tax them into the energy that they use. What, what's carbon taxes, folks? Hmm? And, and also in technocracy, you'll be given credits. The same thing that Bertrand Russell, who was part of this world, they called it socialist movement, world socialist. The folk that, who think they're socialists at the bottom have no idea what the ones at the top really believe in. None at all. And Russell, Bertrand Russell, uh, talked about giving you everybody, we get so many tokens at the beginning of the month of the week, and they would appear in, in some form or another in your bank account or whatever, and you couldn't save them up. You would have to have them all used up by the end of the week or the month, and then it would start from scratch again. And that was an idea of, of equality for those at the bottom. They always have a different equality for those at the top, naturally. Since first one could deny that truth was a suitable standard for measuring political judgment, this sounds extreme, but it's a fairly common move in political philosophy. After all, in debates over uh, contentious issues such as when human life begins, or what's contemptuous? Was, how can you possibly say when life begins? We've all been there. That's where we're alive now. If it didn't begin there, none of us would be here. Uh. But it tells you a lot about the people who write this stuff, eh? Or whether human activity is warming the planet. Appeals to the truth tend to be incendiary. Truth claims to be acknowledged and precludes debate. Hannah Arendt pointed out in this magazine in 1967. And debate constitutes the very essence of political life. Eastland wasn't a relativist, however. He agreed that politicians should refrain from appealing to absolute truth but he didn't think a political theorist could avoid doing so. Anyway, they go into this, this rubbish, most of it's rubbish, actually, because they're really pushing this whole idea of no democracy. You understand, too, they're getting to the stage where they're always going to get to where they're going to throw off this cloak of using the term democracy, make things so bad that they bring all the, all the eggheads, the ones who think they're eggheads, uh, you know, with swollen brains and all that, and swollen heads, 
and they would rule your lives for you. And you'd be so happy through all the, all the, because of all the chaos they'd give you first, you'd be so happy that suddenly these intelligent people were going to rule your lives from cradle to grave. You would worship them. That's the intention of where you're all going. I'll put this up tonight too. I'm going to read all this rubbish because it's just, these people are, it's mental masturbation for them. They love themselves so much. They do. They really do. These are the characters that any kind of party or get together put everybody else to sleep or walk off in the huff. And there's other characters like themselves trying to become the center of attention. There's another one too. From the Guardian, actually, where they whack uh, the, the, the people who voted to in Britain to leave the European Union. They just hate it, hate it, hate it. Yeah. And uh, trust in the institution of democracy, again, is also visibly declining. In the past five years, the European Union's official research bureau found that less than 30% of Europeans had faith in their national parliaments and governments. So, once again, here's the same elitist group that bring you internationalism, bring you technocracy under different guises, different names. It's all the same thing if you study it. Uh, who believe in running your lives, who, who are, are going to tell you that democracy is not working anymore. When ordinary folk vote against, against what the elite want. Isn't that awful? Isn't that just awful? Where's my safe room? I better run to my safe room here. And wring my hands and all that stuff. But that's what they're into. And um, he says there's something explosive about an era in which interest in politics grows while faith in politics declines. Of goodness sake, the internet too has at least, and and amongst all the the multitudes of rubbishes on it, which again is not by coincidence. It's put out there. Uh, it's also really good information as well. And God help them if the folk are actually learning things for the first time out of the box, out of the conditioned indoctrination. Hmm? And it says, 50 years ago we lived in a world of greater political apathy and yet greater trust in politics. Now there is both passion and distrust. These are turbulent times as the events of the past week demonstrate all too clearly, and yet for all this turbulence, there has been little reflection on the tools that our democracies use, which is ignorance, isn't it? So that's enough of that article. And then this one here, on the fear and the lizard brains in 1984 from the Huffington Post, naturally. This is, I spent much of yesterday having people try to scare the hell out of me in the morning. It was President Bush at night. It was Big Brother. This is an older article, probably from 2006. This is, and uh, at times it wasn't easy to tell them apart. Let me explain. So it's interesting to see how the, the, the ones who really are in for internationalism and the way, and they want you to vote the way that, you, that they want you to vote and all that from the top down, use the technique. They'll tell you about the techniques as they oppose things, which they themselves are using. Because you're always kept in terror, aren't you? Always kept in terror. Anyway, she says, My very scary day was a jump started by the presence showing tale of how my hometown had narrowly escaped a 9-11-like attack with hijacked planes being flown into a downtown Los Angeles skyscraper. 
I know, I know the story is old news, a four-year-old plot that we were already told about years ago, which in fact some experts believe never got off the Arcada drawing board, and which Holden uh, picks apart. But the present uh, sure made it sound really, really frightening. That night I saw a preview of a performance of a brilliant new production of George Orwell's 1984, adapted by Michael Gene Sullivan and directed by Tim Robbins, and was struck by the ways the Big Brother uses fear and perpetual war to keep the citizens of Oceania under control, and especially how that fear effectively blots out memory. Remember, this is the same group that uh, who rulers uh, who um, believe in perpetual war. And that was also the Trotsky. The Trotskyist uh, theory as well, perpetual war, never give peace, never never have peace. And that keeps the folk under control too, working for your agenda. Because they're, they're terrified. His memory, writes Orwell, of his rebellious hero was not satisfactorily under control. Memory satisfactorily under control is a perfect description of the mindset that allows Bush and Cheney to repeatedly lie to the American people and get away with it. Thanks to the constant fear-mongering again and again, or last throws, who remembers anything about last throws? Or will also show us how a frightened people will look to the strongest and most confident to save and protect them. As Goldstein says in the play, even the humblest, most industrial citizen is expected to be an ignorant fanatic, whose prevailing moods are fear, hatred, adulation and triumph, regardless of his own suffering. In other words, the mentally appropriate to a state of war or mentality appropriate to a state of war. And being at war, therefore, in danger, makes the handing over of all power to a small caste seem the natural, unavoidable condition of survival. Quite interesting, eh? Because, as I say, they'll often tell you that the techniques which they themselves use all the time. Hmm. I'll put this article up too for those who want to see. Now, just to give you an idea, too, of some of these elitists and eugenicists at the top, uh, the ones that are into zoology are, are amazing for their agenda towards depopulation of all, you know, new lesser breeds. And here's Sir David Attenborough once again, the guy who wants to kill a lot of us off. This is the veteran broadcaster and climate change alarmist has attacked the involvement of voters in politics beyond elections and suggesting the only way to stop Donald Trump is to shoot him and that complex political questions like Brexit should be blocked by wiser politicians. He condemned Trump's climate scepticism, and he asked, do we foreigners have any control or influence over the American election? He says, of course we don't. We could shoot him. It's not a bad idea. Was the Radio Times journalist conducting the interview suggested it was a joke met with giggles, such violent rhetoric from the liberal establishment figure and cultural icon may be seen as hypocritical. Furthermore, Sir David went on to explain that he was deadly serious about his desire to block popular elected individuals and decisions via undemocratic means. He says, there's confusion, isn't there, between populism and parliamentary democracy, he told the Radio Times, one of Britain's widest read and oldest magazines. So is their programs. I mean, that's, that's why we're in the mess we're in with Brexit, is it not? Do we really want to live by this kind of referendum, he asked of the European Union, plebiscite. What we mean by parliamentary democracy is surely that we find someone we respect who we think is probably wiser than we are, who's prepared to take the responsibility of pondering difficult things and then trust him or her to vote on our behalf. Sir David continued. He said he was concerned by Michael Gove's EU referendum claims that the British people have had enough of experts 
And he says, that's why politicians getting up and saying, we've had enough of experts, it's so catastrophic, he added. And he goes on to how the people who want to leave the EU uh, are xenophobes and all the usual stuff. He then described it with sympathy and understanding the popular fear of mass migration and rapid cultural uh, change driven by globalization before dismissing such worries as just what it is. And uh, it's a complete globalist, eugenicist, and elitist. He sees himself as one of the elites himself, actually. And they all know better than you because they're, they're clever, you know, and you're pretty stupid. And that's the message that he's always spouted out from his rather big mouth. And here's one from another of your newsbringers, you know, your newsbringers. And it says it's time for the elites to rise up against the ignorant masses. Ignorant masses. The Brexit has laid bare the political schism of our time. It's not about the left versus the right. It's about the sane versus the mindlessly angry by James Trobb. He's a contributing editor at Foreign Policy, naturally. And, you know, I feel like the Centre on International Cooperation. And, and, on, and he's also, again, he brings in all the usual scary, scary scenarios of what's going to happen if Hillary doesn't get in. And um, he brings up the usual memes that they bring up, and themes as well. And uh, he's talking about different parties across Europe that are against this total integration uh, by the, the European Union. And brings in other oh, Nazis and all the usual stuff. You'll see that there. Whatever they shove that stuff in, it tells you an awful lot. And says, this year at bottom is, is globalization. Brexit, Trump, the National Front, and so on show that political elites have misjudged the depth of the anger at global forces, and thus they demand that someone somehow restore the status quo. And it may seem strange that the reaction has come today rather than immediately after the economic crisis of 2008, but the ebbing of the crisis has led to a new sense of stagnation. He goes on and on and on. Again, I'm not a person who loves to be heard, uh, and he's often the only person probably listening to himself, but that's how elitists really are, aren't they? Uh, and they, they really get hissy fits, awful hissy fits, and stamp their feet, or maybe lie down and, and batter their heels against the, the ground if they don't get what they want. After all, they're, they're such supreme elitists, aren't they? They went to the best universities, where they're taught how to keep you all in ignorance, how to train. And the, the, the neurologists and all these guys came in and, and the behaviorists and, and train them in how to keep you dumb and stupid. Hmm? And they wonder why you rebel against all this control, control, control. That's the, the system. That is how the system runs and has been run for an awful long time, hasn't it? And... It's just unfortunate that there's no education out there that is free to simply educate you and the things that you should know uh, and how to survive in life uh, pretty independently as possible. Because if you're not independent in a few areas, then you're completely dependent on one system that already intends to put you in deeper slavery than you already are so that they at the top can live in better than they already do. Well, that's it from myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me. Your God, your God's go with you. <laughs>